0: you listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It's History Day. I think this is quickly becoming a favorite day of the week for us. Absolutely my favorite <laughs> day of the week, yes. <laughs> we are taking a look at history of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Lutherans coming from Germany and other places to North America. And I am excited about this because today now we actually get to Missouri, <laughs> which is kind of, you know, kind of interesting. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Joining us for this series, the Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. McKenzie, welcome back.
1: Well, thank you, Andy. Thank you, Sarah. Glad to be back. So we've spent some
0: time in what we know now as Germany, uh, Saxony, Prussia. We even talked about that a little bit. And now we're taking a look at the saxons making way to north america first what's starting in landing in new orleans right and right. making their way up the river some to st louis but then some settled in perry county why did they choose why was missouri interesting why did they make that their their destination
1: well this is this is an interesting story apparently the seed for missouri was planted by an american lutheran by the name of Benjamin Kurtz, he was a pastor in Maryland, and he was in Germany soliciting support for a brand new Lutheran seminary at Gettysburg, at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And, you know, in the story of the Civil War, when they talk about Seminary Ridge, et cetera, they're, they're, they're talking about a Lutheran seminary mm-hmm. at Gettysburg. And if you go there, you can still, still see cannonballs in the walls of some of the older buildings from the time of the Civil War. But anyway. That's later. 1827, Benjamin Kurtz, Lutheran pastor, went to uh, Germany to solicit support, and he landed in Dresden, and he indicated in a little article that he wrote at the time that the Saxons arrived in Missouri that uh, he was looking around for some good preaching. And by that, he meant basically some good old gospel, law gospel preaching and he said that it was a nobleman in there who said, "Well, if you want that kind of preaching, you, you should come to me, come with me, to Pastor Martin Stefan's church." And so we have a description, actually, of Pastor Stefan, uh, what he preached about, and how he looked, how he sounded by this American Lutheran who wrote this up a little bit later. After the service, Kurtz and Stefan had a conversation. And apparently in that conversation, according to what Kurtz wrote, he says this, And then the good man, Pastor Stefan, sighed for a land of perfect religious freedom, for a peaceful and retired home for himself and his congregation, where they might worship God according to the convictions of their own judgment without being subject to arbitrary restraints, vexatious requirements, etc. So. That's the conversation in 1827. Kurtz tells us that later on, a few years later, Stefan wrote to him in America and said that his people were still interested in doing this. And he wondered what Kurtz could tell him about how to get there, what the price of land was, what the climate was like, and so forth. In other words, How should he get there and where should he go? Well, Kurtz told him that it would be a good idea if they embarked at Bremen and then sailed for New Orleans and up the Mississippi and settle in the state of Missouri. So the idea was planted by this American Lutheran that it'd be a good idea to settle in Missouri. Now, it's interesting because where by this time in the 1830s, he's in the East, but they're already thinking of the move West. Let's go West, young man, go West. And so his advice was that they go to Missouri and figure out where they wanted to go from there. Also, in addition to that, we should realize that while the United States was interested in attracting people to fill up all the land that they had that was available for farming and all other kinds of uses, the European population in places like Germany, I don't want to say they had excess people, but the economic opportunities for, say, the Germans were much smaller than they would be in America. To try to bridge the gap between the people who needed to move and the place to move, emigration... What do I want to, what, what I want to call these. People who were in the emigration business, that is, they were land entrepreneurs. They manned the ships that went across the Atlantic and so forth. They put out pamphlets it, which to, by which to encourage people to come. And one of the ones that's often associated with the Saxons is a pamphlet by a, a German nobleman by the name of Gottfried Duden. Gottfried Duden. And Duden's little handbook on emigration portrays what life in America would be like if you settled in the Midwest, say the state of Missouri. So he writes among other things that there in America, good land, first quality land requires no fertilizer in the first century and is in the first decades too fertile even for wheat. And then he goes on and says, it is clear that rural life here is so different from what it is in Germany that the previous occupation of the emigrants only gives them a special advantage insofar as he has trained them to properly evaluate the actual situation. For this reason, many a German peasant is here not nearly so far advanced in the cultivation of the land as a more skillful craftsman. Now, It's craftsmen who are leaving, it's not peasants. And so this appeals to them, you know, oh, wow, we can go there, we can be farmers and so fertile, we don't have to know much about farming. Okay. Then he goes on and he talks about his life there on the uh, Missouri frontier. This is his description. At sunrise, I go outside, usually with a shotgun. I wander about for about an hour, shoot quail, doves or squirrels also turkeys, which are easier to kill with a rifle, and come back to eat my breakfast. After breakfast, I take out my books, a selected number of which i had included with my baggage. I then busy myself with scientific studies as quietly as ever in Germany. Shortly before the noon meal, I go out and wander in the garden or to the spring. After dinner, I mount my horse and either visit my neighbors or enjoy the beauties of nature in the forest on the hills or in the valleys. In other words, it's a paradise. No experience needed. Everything's there for you. Oh, a little bit of effort, maybe to shoot some turkeys in the morning. But nonetheless, this is the place to go. So it's a combination. There's a recommendation. There's this literature. There are vessels ready to carry you across if you've got the money to hire them. And so they decided that that was the place to go, a land where they could practice their religion as well as enjoy a prosperous existence. Missouri was the place. It
0: sounds so idyllic, but I seem to remember that life life wasn't quite as easy as those pamphlets made it seem, was it?
1: Yeah, no, it wasn't. And that's the next thing I thought we should talk a little bit about. Yeah. Uh, at the end of our last episode, uh, we were uh, saying goodbye to Pastor Stefan as he was being shipped off across the Mississippi. Um, and the question then became for the Saxons in uh, Perry County, uh, well, now what do we do? Uh, our leader has betrayed us. Uh, wh- what, what, what does the future hold for us? Uh, it was also a time of intense uh suffering. Uh Harvest was bad. They ran out of food. Uh, there was sickness. There was a lot of death. It was just a very miserable time, both physically and spiritually, because of their uncertainty as to what what it was that God wanted them to do. And, you know, I think this is still true today, that physical uh, misfortunes in connection with a bad conscience can lead you to think that God is punishing you. And there was a lot of that kind of guilt feeling that this is going bad because God is punishing us.
0: Hmm.
1: I know that's especially true of the pastors and the lay leadership. They felt that they had been betrayed by Stefan, but they in turn felt that they had betrayed the people whom they had said, you got to go or you're going to go to hell. So sell everything you've got, leave your family, you've got to come, you've got to come now. But that turned out not to be true. So there's a lot of guilt going on. One of those who was affected that way, and this might surprise you a little bit, but that was CFW Walther. He was a young pastor and in Perry County, Bishop Stefan had appointed him a pastor to one of the little settlements there. You know, there are still A couple of those settlements left, Altenburg and Frona, but there were a handful of others that have passed out of existence. And Walter was a pastor at one of those little ones. And he felt so guilty about bringing the people there and looking up to Stefan and so forth that he uh, talked to the congregation about quitting. Uh, And there's a nice little letter to his brother in which he talks about this, uh, that he talks to the congregation. He had sinned. He felt he could no longer go on. And they, they they asked for a week to think about his offer of resignation, and they came back a week later, and they said, "No, you don't have to resign. We weren't all right, and we forgive you, and please stay and be our pastor." So it's a very nice little episode, but it actually didn't work. Walther did resign his parish. He also became very ill, had to move in with his brother-in-law, and so that, that's the kind of situation Walther's is not. You, unique. Now, as they analyzed this, there were two kinds of approaches. One approach was articulated by one of the lay leaders, a fellow by the name of Adolf Marbach. And he basically analyzed this as a moral question. The emigration was wrong. They had sinned. They were not the Lutheran church in America. They were nothing but kind of a mob of sinners. And the only way to reconstruct themselves as a church was to go back to Germany, go back to Saxony in repentance, receive forgiveness, so that then they could, in a sense, start over. So that was his solution. Got to go back to Germany. Now, of course, he could do that because he was a man of some means. That whole crowd is not going to be able to go back. So that's... Kind of impractical, but nonetheless, a lot of people felt that way. Walther ended up taking a theological approach. While he was convalescing, he read the scriptures, uh, he studied Luther, he prayed, and he finally came to the conclusion that the moral problem was one that all Christians face all the time. We're always sinners. And the solution to that is repentance. Grace and forgiveness. The other question about whether they were a church, he answered theologically namely, that what makes the church are believers. And even if believers like those in Perry County had done things wrong, had made errors, mistakes, they were still believers, so they were still the Christian church. And if they were the Christian church in Missouri, they could do what the Christian church can always do. They can have services, call pastors, teach, preach the gospel, celebrate the sacrament. They can be the church in America. So, Walther's solution came to be this theological solution. An understanding of what constitutes the church is not your connection with churches anywhere else, bishops or anything like that, but your faith in Christ and your commitment to the means of grace in your midst. Well, it was after a couple of years while the colony is kind of debating what it should do that they finally have a great debate in Altenburg and this is in the spring of 15, 15, 1841 it's called the Altenburg debate and Walter wrote up eight theses on the nature of Uh, The church. And in this, he articulated his fundamental belief that the church consists of believers, visible groups who have the word of God and the sacraments, are a part of that true church, even if they have made mistakes, even if they have made errors, even if they have some false doctrines. What they, because they're still church, they can call pastors and do other churchly stuff, and insofar as they are not following the scriptures and the word of God, they need to repent, and to do it, preach it, and teach it in the right way, they don't have to go back to Germany and reconnect. Well, that was the position that prevailed there at Altenburg. It gave them kind of a, a new lease on life, spiritual life, theological life, and indeed, kind of American life, so that they could go forward, staying there as an Orthodox Lutheran church. But it took a lot of prayer, study, debate, argumentation. Not everybody was convinced. Not everybody was convinced. Uh, Marbach, who had taken the other position, he he agreed that Walther wasn't teaching anything that he could see as false doctrine, but he went back to he went back to Germany. He had kind of had it with this whole thing. So, at any rate that it was an important kind of development that helped to shape the saxon part of the origins of the missouri senate there's more to their history but at some point we probably got to shift gears and talk about the other big group whose pastors and congregations ended up being formative in the years of the missouri senate
0: and we'll do that in just a moment we need to take a quick break we are taking a look at history of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod with Reverend Dr Cameron McKenzie we'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on the coffee hour i'm Andy Bates i'm Sarah Golseth Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're taking a look at history of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod with Reverend Dr. Cameron McKenzie. And we are uh, now we've gotten to the Saxons settling in Missouri, particularly in Perry County, Missouri. And I know we have other groups that we want to look at as well. That, that played a role in the, the development of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I want to talk just a little bit more about those Saxons who settled in Perry County. Were, sure. were there other people, uh, were they some of the first settlers in Perry County or were there others there that made a difference for them? I mean, we're, we're talking about craftsmen who came from Saxony, <laughs> right. who settled in Perry County in the middle of the woods.
1: <laughs> right. That's, <laughs> it. That's exactly right. Well, there were others. And as a matter of fact, during that time of troubles, if memory serves me correctly, uh, I think there was a Presbyterian congregation, some Presbyterians there who helped them out, made sure that they got some stuff to eat, got some actual material help to kind of keep them going. Yes, yeah, So there were others. I don't think there were a lot of others. There were others and they did the good Christian thing of helping those Saxons out.
0: That congregation still stands today, uh, Brazell. Presbyterian. Yeah. It doesn't
1: really. Oh, that's cool. That's neat. Yeah, that's yeah. neat.
0: All right. So, other, uh, other groups that played a significant role um, in the development of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod.
1: Now, I'm going to oversimplify, but, but one way of thinking about the founding congregations and the founding pastors of the Missouri Synod is to really think of them as two groups there's the Saxon group down in Missouri, and as we'll see in a few other places by the time Senate begins in 1847 as well. And then there are the Lutherans in, well, my part of the world, Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan. And these congregations come from different parts of Germany and actually come more for kind of the standard reasons that people still migrate to this country, and that is an opportunity at a better way of life for themselves and for their uh, families. And they are organized into Lutheran congregations by men from the old country who are often sent by mission societies, good, pious Christians, who want to help the German immigrants to America form congregations. And so they send men over as missionaries in order to do that. So it's a, a Kind of a much a much different sort of mindset initially from the mindset that motivated the Saxons, and perhaps that's why they don't we don't hear quite so much about them in the history book. Their their story is maybe not quite as dramatic and exciting as the Saxons with their bishop being thrown out and all that kind of stuff. But nonetheless, this other group that we're about to start talking about is really 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 important, and the founding father there that we want to focus on is uh, Friedrich. Conrad Dietrich Wieneken, W Y N E K E N he is well he was Synod's second president walter was the first president and whereas walter represents let's say the kind of academic doctrine purity part in history of the missouri senate winken represents the missions part of the missouri senate he's a missionary that's why he came to America really just a few months before the Saxons came this was in uh, the spring of summer of 1838. Let me tell you a little bit about him but before I do let me make this observation that the the, the decades that we're talking about here in terms of the Missouri Senate's founding are the decades that coincide with significant sometimes even enormous, immigration from Germany to America. In the 1830s, which is the first decade that we're talking about, there were 157,000 Germans who came out of 600,000 total immigrants. So you've already got there about a fourth of the total immigration population is German. And those numbers just keep going up decade after decade. In the 1840s, 440,000. In the 1850s, almost a million German immigrants. 1860s, 800,000. 1870s, 800,000. 1880s, over 1,600,000 German immigrants. And that's why people like Winniken came as missionaries. And it's also why when they saw the situation, they cried out for help. To the old country, we need more. We need more missionaries. We need more help because the Germans just kept on coming. And so the history of the Missouri Synod is really as a German Lutheran church over the his first several decades of its history because there were all these Germans coming to America. But Winnekin was there in the early years, and it was he who helped to kind of start the Lutheran church on what was then the American front, frontier of the Midwest. Uh particularly in this uh part of the world, so let's talk a little bit about him, shall we?
0: We have about two minutes left in this episode,
1: so just give me a little
0: teaser uh, about him that's, and that's, an idea what we'll cover next time
1: yeah, right, okay. well, let me say this that when he gets to Indiana and Ohio, he finds out that the Germans are scattered. There are all kinds of weird places and locations. Lots of folks could care less that they have a German missionary here, but he persists. And in persisting, he founds many congregations, especially in this part of the country, in Indiana, Hall, and Michigan. Then, and this is the other thing that it, it become really important about Winnikin, he becomes kind of the first uh, public relations man. He writes back to the old country, About what's going on here in America, and he writes very vivid descriptions of the challenges and the need. So he's going to get folks back home stirred up about this. He himself is going to go back and lecture to mission societies, congregations, and so forth, stir up individuals. And among those whom he stirs up is a fellow by the name of Wilhelm Lea, and Lea (laughs) is a pastor in Franconia, by then a part of. Bavaria. It's just a small little burg, It still is today, Neuen Dettelsau. But Leah is somebody who's on fire for the word of God, for the Lutheran confessions. And so he's going to pick up the challenge uh, that Winnikin has laid down, and he is going to recruit, train, and send men to America to plant churches on the American frontier. So that's, that's what's in store for us. Leah ends up sending missionaries to the Indians. He helps to establish a frontier seminary. He's also one of the fathers of the deaconess movement, although that didn't have a lot to do with America at that time, but very important figure who gets called into work by Winnick.
0: So much history left to learn. I love it. (laughs) This is fascinating. Well, I'm looking forward to learning more next time. Dr. McKenzie, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing some great history with us.
1: Good. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Goltesch. You can sport a KFUO shirt, swag, or even socks by visiting our online store. Go to KFUO.org slash store and order high-quality KFUO-branded merch. You no longer need to wait for our annual share for a chance to show your KFUO spirit. Visually share and wear this ministry out in the world by checking out our selection. Every purchase helps to support our proclamation of Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Go to KFUO.org slash store.